Jesus and his twelve disciples traveled all about Healing, teaching, raising dead men, casting demons out One day he climbed a mountain where the multitudes he found Heard him preach a message called the Sermon on the Mount We're going to spend some time just reading in Matthew 6. So get your Bibles and turn to Matthew 6. Uh, I love Matthew 6. And, uh, you know, this morning I got up, honestly, I was going to teach on something else and it just wasn't working. And so I went and took a shower and that's where God gives me all my heavy revelation in the shower. (laughs) I was just kidding. (laughs) No, but uh, I just felt like reading the Bible this morning. Is that okay with everybody? Yeah, I I like reading the Bible with my family. And so that's what we're going to do today. So this is Matthew 6. We're right smack in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, right? We've read the Beatitudes before. Everybody remember what the Beatitudes are? Blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the, right? Uh, Love them, right? Those are really awesome. So we're right smack in the the Sermon on the Mount. Um, So we'll start off with Matthew 6, verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. It's interesting, and we're all afflicted with it, but we do things, the right things, for the wrong reasons, right? We do it for self-serving purposes, right? I do something for my brother. That should be the only reason I do it is to bless my brother. But a lot of times what we do is we, or sister, we'll do something for somebody with our eye over our shoulder, you know, looking for who, who's watching me do this great thing. Right. And sometimes we even go further and we tell people about it. We're like, I did this great thing yesterday for this person. Aren't I great? Well, that's that's disingenuous. That's disingenuous. Going around telling people what a great person you are. And there's too much of that. We've talked about it. Virtue signaling, you know, people going around telling people how virtuous they are. Well, Jesus said, be careful not to do that. Be careful not to do that. If you do do that, you're not getting any rewards in heaven. So verse two, it says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it like a trumpet, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. What's their reward? The praise of men. The praise of men. That's all you're going to get. And how long does that last? Not very long. No. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's in the Bible, that's called a figure of speech. That's basically saying you're doing things between you and God, right? I do something for somebody. I'm not telling my wife. I'm not telling my friends. I'm telling nobody. I'm doing things between God and me. And that's really important for us, I think, because it really strengthens your service to God, that that you are not running around telling people what you're doing. Verse 4, so your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. How about that? Isn't that great? And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen of men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. I always think of when I read this verse, I always think I had an aunt of mine and she had gotten cancer and died. And she had some really good friends 
friend's husband was the CEO of NBNA. Do you remember NBNA? It was a credit card company. I tell you that to say that they, they built this cancer research thing, this building in her name, right? And it was pretty cool. So we went, my sister and I went to the opening ceremony for this cancer research center. And they had a local pastor there and this local pastor stood up and it was the worst prayer I've ever heard. It was so self-serving. I mean, you wondered if God was even, even crossed his mind when he put this prayer together. I mean, there is public prayer for sure, but the public prayer is still between you and God. You're not, there's no other purpose there. And this guy, man, he just wanted to let everybody know that he was the best prayer in town. And it was, it was such a shame, such a shame. Verse six, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. How about that? I love it. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you have need of before you ask. And I and I love that. You know, a simple a simple prayer of faith with a couple of words is more significant than a you know, a long winded prayer with no faith. You know, sometimes a prayer of faith is help, right? When you're in a tough jam and things are just not going well for you and, and you're like, help. That's a that's a good prayer. It doesn't have I mean, think about it. What is prayer? We're communicating with our God. That's a that's an important thing. Let me read that over again. And do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. How about that? God knows what you need. God knows what you need. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Does everybody know what hallowed be means? Revered. A God, you know, so think about this. This is, this is, you know, very formal sounding. But really what you're saying is, is you're saying, God, you're awesome. You're the best. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So before we start, you know, going through our laundry list of things that we want from God, what are we looking to do? God, your will be done. It says, give us uh, today our daily bread. I love that. Our daily bread. This harkens back to um, Israel's time in the desert, right? And eating the manna that came from heaven. And what was God doing? He was teaching Israel to be dependent upon him, right? To be dependent upon him. We've got to depend on God for our daily food. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. I love that. We have to be a forgiving people. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. Now listen to this. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces and show men that they are fasting. Isn't that crazy? I mean, we don't have that problem in our culture, right? I mean, it's a different set of things. But we used to have a guy on my software team who used to make sure that everybody knew he he stayed up all night working on that code. And that was important for him to let us all know that. They disfigure their faces. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father 
who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. What are the treasures on earth? Well, it's people's, you know, praise, right? People are praising you. Some, you know, you think about it, people make, that's their entire lives. We look at people who are movie stars and go, wow, I wish I could be a movie star. Well, think of the burden that they must carry. I mean, their entire life is on show. I sometimes think about, you know, the downside of our social media, right? You know, getting on Facebook and what do you do? Look at me, look at me, look at me. Is that good? How about spending a little less time on Facebook and a little more time in secret prayer with your father? I mean, that seems to make more sense, doesn't it? And like I said, you know, if you find yourself doing it, you're not lonely because we all are afflicted with this. It's part of the human nature. But so do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where the thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now listen to this. This is so important. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's such a big deal. Why aren't there more Christian movie stars? Well, because they've made themselves God. Right? A lot of times people don't realize the goodness of God until they're they're brought to themselves, right? And it's important. Your treasure, where your treasure is, that is where your heart's going to be. If your treasure is, look at me, look at me, look at me, that's where your heart is. It's a shame. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, what you're looking at. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye, your eyes are bad, meaning you're looking in the wrong direction, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So what you focus on, what you're looking at, right? A lot of times we become fixated on ourselves. We look at ourselves. I don't know. I, I, I get pretty miserable when I start looking at myself I mean, real quick, right? It's not looking at ourselves. It's not looking to other people. It's looking at God and Christ. If your eyes are fixed on them, you are filled with light. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's something. You can't serve God and money. And that that's a truism for a lot of things. You can't serve God in your career, right? You can't serve God in your personal relationships. You know, if they're both vying for servitude, you can't serve two gods, two masters. God has got to be first in your life. And that's very important. God has to be first. You can't serve two masters. Therefore, I tell you, verse 25, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Yeah. Look at the birds in the air. They don't sow and they don't reap or stow things away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And you can so totally see this, can't you? That Jesus is, you know, he's probably got birds littering all around him. And he's saying, look at the birds and look at the, the flowers. And, and, and God takes care of these. Won't he take care of you too? I love that. You know, you think about how people live their entire lives 
scratching from meal to meal and and self-sufficiency becomes a dominant thing for them. And we just can't allow ourselves to be driven that way, that God supplies my need. God supplies my need. Now listen to this next verse. I think this is very profound. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Nobody. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass in the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? God has got you covered. So do not worry, saying, what are we going to eat? And what are we going to drink? And what are we going to wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. Now listen to this. This is the key here. Verse 33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's the key, isn't it? Seek God first. Seek God first. You know, that's one of Satan's big, big things, is he wants to get in there and get you seeking something else first. And if he can get you to do that, then he he won. He just won. It's seek God first in all that you do. Seek God first. That's why, you know, just it's best practice. It's not a law, but it's best practice. And when you get up first thing in the morning time, what are you doing? You're praying. You're praying. You're spending time with God. You're spending time with Christ. It's simple and it's nice. I mean, that's what Jesus did, isn't it? He spent time with his father first thing in the morning. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, verse 34, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, anybody who's lived a little life knows that that's a pretty tall order right there, right? It it sounds pretty simple, but I mean, you know, you get a bad work evaluation. and What are you doing? You're thinking about tomorrow. Oh, my God, I'm going to lose my job or whatever. I mean, there's a variety of things. The point being is, look, when in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, God gave the manna from heaven. And that manna, except on the Sabbath, but during the week, that manna was good for how long? A day, a day. And what happened to people who tried to stockpile the manna? It would spoil, it would rot. And what was God teaching them by doing it this way? Live a day at a time and trusting him, trusting God today. Yeah, yeah, trusting God today. I mean, that's a big deal. Just having that childlike faith that you trust him today. I've got goosebumps all over my arm. That's it. And that, honestly, if you think about it, there's a lot of people who are quote unquote Christians, right? And we've talked about that, you know, the cultural Christianity. And I'm not saying this to make anybody feel superior or whatever. What I'm saying is the genuine, faithful disciple of Christ is this guy who isn't concerned about what people think about him, isn't running around trying to get people to think he's cool or anything else. He is faithfully, day by day, trusting God to take care of him. I mean, that's it. But isn't that isn't that wonderful? We're not putting on a show for anybody. We're we're enjoying our God and relying upon our God. Chapter 7, verse 1. And do not judge, or you too will be judged. How easy is that to do, huh? Yep, we like judging people. For in the same way you judge others, you're going to get judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
So we have to we have to go easy on other people. Why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the big old telephone pole sticking out of your own? Right. We like to judge people. And it's it's always interesting to me, you know, I'm in my life where I've, I'll be harsh with somebody and then I'm, you know, you know, all hurt because somebody's harsh with me. Well, that's how it works. That's how it works. Uh, how can you say to your brother? Let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time you got a telephone pole in your own eye. You hypocrite. That's getting pretty personal, isn't it? You. You hypocrite first. Take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see, see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. Now, I want to make a point here is that it doesn't say don't take the speck out of your brother's eye. It, it's saying that you won't see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye if you're full of judgment, right? If you're going around pointing your finger at people, it's the person who is full of grace and a person who is full of mercy and love that is going to be somebody who can say, brother, let me help you with that speck in your eye. But the the critic who is constantly thrashing people, every report that they make of somebody is the worst. That's the person I want far away from me if I have a problem, right? Verse 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Now, this might need a little explanation because, you know, we just went to Bark and Brew yesterday and there were plenty of dogs there and, and they're all sweet. And But in the biblical land, the dog was a scavenger, right? A scavenger who would run around and and nobody would ever have a pet who was a dog, right? Dogs were considered, Gentiles were, the Jews called the Gentiles dogs, meaning they were nothing but scavengers. So the point here being is that you don't take something that's valuable and, and blessed and dear to you and give it to a scavenger, right? And that's important. Verse 6, do not give dogs what is sacred and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample you under their feet and then they will turn and tear you to pieces. I've met people who were just vicious and mean and, and you try to offer up an explanation to them. They don't want to hear it. Right. And that's the point being made here. That's the point being made here. What's that phrase that, you know, an enemy won't believe your explanations and your friends don't need one or something like that. You know what I'm saying? That when people try to try to thrash you with their criticism, you know, you could turn and answer them, but it wouldn't do any good. The best thing to do is just not throw your Pearls to swine. That's, by the way, an answer to a prayer that uh, I had. And that occurred to me yesterday while I was standing in the shower, thinking about a particular situation. But uh, yeah, you don't owe the critic an explanation. Keep that in mind. You owe your heavenly father an explanation. Verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receive and receives, and he who seeks find finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Isn't that great? That means God's door, right? Which of you, if he had a son, ask for bread, will he give him a stone? Right? If Joshua wanted some bread, would I give him a stone? No, of course not. Or if he asked for a fish, would I give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I love that. Isn't that something? So when we go to God and we ask for things, 
how we perceive God is so vitally important. If I look at God as a stern judge who is looking for an excuse to deny me, right? You ever watch Seinfeld and uh, the, the soup Nazi? No soup for you! If that's your opinion of God, that he's looking for you to make one mistake before he yanks the rug out from under you, it's not him. Why would God spend all this time to say, look, don't judge others so harshly if he was a harsh judge? That doesn't make any sense, does it? God is a good God. He's, he's like any parent, any good parent. He's looking for a way to give you what you want, right? I'm, as a good parent, you know, parents don't like punishing their kids. I don't like punishing my kids. I'm looking for a way to kind of soften the punishment a little bit because I love my kids. I say, that's it. You're, you're grounded. And he'll come, but dad, I got something coming, coming up. And who gives in all the time? Me. But think about it. You know, your parents love you and they want to do the best by you. And God is better than any parent any earthly parent. So God wants to bless us. It's just, it's so important that we see him this way. Verse 12, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. That's a biggie, right? That's a big deal. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Enter through the narrow gate. So Think about this. You have this Jerusalem, right? And it's a it's a walled-in city, and it has gates, right? And so the idea is he's teaching, he's, you know, enter through the narrow gate. He says, uh, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. There's a lot of ways to mess yourself up. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life. Now listen to this, and only a few find it. Well, I don't know about you, but I want to be one of those few. I want to be one of those few. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. By their fruit. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Right? Of course not. Would you pick an orange from an apple tree? No. Likewise, every good tree bears what? Good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. You know, this is, this is an interesting thing that God tells us to look at fruit. Look at fruit in a person's life. He doesn't tell us to listen to their words necessarily. I mean, you should, but the, the point is, is you're looking for the fruit. The fruit. What kind of fruit? You know, am I seeing goodness in that family? Is it got good fruit or is it got bad fruit? And these are things we're told to look at. Every tree, verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them, these false prophets. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. How about that? It's not what you say, it's what you do. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, didn't we drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow, how about that? So, so what's the point here? Know the Lord. Know the Lord, right? It's a relationship. It's a relationship. You can do a lot of things and call it religion, and God isn't part of it. And that's, that's something else. I was raised in a church. I talked about the church, the church, the church, the church. Never talked about God. Never talked about Christ. 
And that's not a church that any of us should want to be part of. 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. He builds a house on a rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on a rock, right? That's pretty smart of the builder, isn't it? But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. How about that? You think about your life when you're a young person and you're thinking about, I've got my entire life ahead of me. I'm building a life here. What do I build my life on? Sand or stone? If you're wise, you would build your house upon stone. Because I guarantee you there's going to be winds blowing and rains falling and streams rising in your life. I guarantee it. And if you made good choices when you were young, you'll be able to weather those storms. It's such a big deal. Such a big deal. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. How about that? So anyway, that was the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the, just the good, sound wisdom. Just uh, It just blesses us to hear it. And I don't know how many times I've heard this sermon, um, but, Father, it never gets old. And so, Father, we're thankful for that. We're thankful, Father, that we can have that simple trust in you, that you take care of us, and that, Father, that you're with us in our down-sittings and our uprising, that, Father, you are with us every step of the way. You're with us when we're blessed and happy. You're with, with us when we're lost and angry. You're with us when we are just wandering and confused. So, Father, thank you for that. And thank you, Father, for blessing this fellowship in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Blessed are the mourners, they'll find comfort in the Lord. Blessed are the persecuted, great is their reward and glory. Blessed are the poor in spirit, mercies will message still rings out today to those set free from sin waiting watching working till king jesus comes again that's when we'll finally know what peace on earth is all about living out his message from the sermon on the mount blessed are the mourners they'll find comfort Spirit, mercies mercies will abound, promises so precious from the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, blessed are the mourners, they'll find comfort in the Lord. Blessed are the persecuted, great is their reward in glory. Blessed are the poor in spirit, mercies will abound, promises so precious from the sun.